There's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends, but who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate health questions, and we get real answers, all originally recorded live. Hi, thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Nada Youssef, and you're listening to Health Essentials Podcast by Cleveland Clinic. Today, we're broadcasting from Cleveland Clinic main campus here in Cleveland, Ohio, and we're here with Dr. Christine Lee. Dr. Lee is a gastroenterologist at Cleveland Clinic Digestive Disease and Surgery Institute. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so before we begin, I'm going to ask you some questions just off topic, just okay. icebreakers, if that's okay. Okay. So um, what were you like in high school? Um, it's kind of quiet. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> I studied a lot, and um, but I, you know, I enjoyed going out. I enjoyed talking and spending time with friends and um, doing sports. I played volleyball. And nice. What high school did you go to? Went to a very small city um, in Dayton. It's called West Carrollton. Uh, very small, but it was really, it was very nice because it was small enough that everybody knew everybody. Sure. You know, the chief of police lived down the street. Chief oh, of the fire department lived on the other end of the street. Yeah. Everybody knew everybody. That sounds like a fun time. Okay, what about the best place to eat in Cleveland, Ohio? Well, best place to eat in Cleveland, gosh, uh, there's many to choose from. Yes. I do eat out a lot. <laughs> um, but I guess my favorite place would be either Bonefish Grill or Longhorn. Or what was the second thing? Longhorn. Longhorn. I thought you said Walmart. Oh, like, that's no. <laughs> okay, and would you rather live in frigid, cold weather or over 100 degree hot weather and why? Well, I guess that changes depending on where in the age spectrum you are. And okay. right now I would pick the frigid temperature because I'm not enjoying the hot flashes. Yeah. <laughs> That's honest enough, thank you. Okay, and before we begin, please remember this is for informational purposes only and it's not intended to replace your own physician's advice. So today we're gonna to talk about constipation, rectal bleeding, hemorrhoids, all kinds of stuff. Okay. So I kinda of wanna start first with, I mean, being constipated, it means your bowel movements are tough or happen less often than normal. We all go through that at some point. So what is normal? Well, that's a great question because it really varies tremendously from people to people. So your normal may not be your uh, neighbor's normal or your friend's normal. So what's normal is what you yourself are used to for throughout most of your life. So yeah. some people may go once a day, some people may go four times a day, some people may go twice a week, but if that's your normal and that's the way it's been for most of your adult life that you can remember, that's your normal. So, I have no idea. So if, it's, if it was someone since a long time ago, they've always gone just one time a week, that is regulated that's normal well so being healthy yes. and normal sometimes ha there's a disconnect yes, but if you that. are talking about your normal your normal no one would know your normal better than yourself mm -hmm. because that's what your pattern have been for most of your adult life okay now whether that your normal is healthy or not is a completely different question right, right. <laughs> okay so what let's talk about some of the symptoms of constipation Besides, I just can't right. Go. So common con uh, symptoms of constipation is bloating, mm -hmm. uh, excessive gas, whether it's flatulence or uh, burping or mm -hmm. what we call eructations. Um, anything that's you feel abdominal distensions, cramping, um, discomfort, pain. Um, 
sometimes it's discomfort with defecation or sometimes it's discomfort with having diarrhea. Mm -hmm. So symptoms of constipation can also vary from people to people. But in general, it's mostly associated with um, abdominal bloating, gas, maybe even loss of appetite, some nausea if it's really extreme, mm -hmm. um, to even eventually leading to weight loss because you just don't have the appetite. Wow. Okay, so we know some food can cause constipation, but other than food, or maybe what kind of food, but why does it happen? So there's mul that's what makes this kind of interesting, even though a lot of people suffer from it. There's mm -hmm. multitude of reasons or factors that play a role in constipation. So starting with food, the common food that we know is very constipating is high-protein foods, okay. and that's, um, you know, Right now, high-protein diets are, are very uh, popular, mm -hmm. so we do want to bring that out there, although that might be a, a something that you are trying uh, working out, but just be aware that it has very constipating effects. So, Like the ketogenic diet? Absolutely, okay. right. Uh, so anything that has meat, eggs, um, high proteins, very constipating. Mm -hmm. So if someone's on a keto diet, what do they do to not be constipated? Well, there's a lot of things to help yourself prevent or control constipation. And one would be adding a lot of fibrous foods to your diet, whether that be raw carrots or prunes or bran. Um, raw carrots? Yeah. Yes. Really? Yes. No idea. Uh, <laughs> a lot of fibrous foods that are difficult to digest or break down uh -huh. that hold a lot of water content is very helpful from a diet standpoint. The other things that you can help yourself um, to treat or prevent constipation is physical activity. Uh, the more you're up and moving around uh, will definitely help prevent or treat constipation. The more sit-down jobs tend to have a lot more issues in the long run. Uh, if you're always sitting due to your job or executive positions where you're in meetings or flying uh, in a constricted place, that uh, can definitely exacerbate or bring on constipation issues. So you need to be moving. To You've got to be moving. moving, yes. Up okay. and moving. You know, stand or walk or run yeah. or exercise. Any kind of that motion uh, will stimulate motility in yeah. your uh, abdominal area. So that's always very helpful. So with constipation, um, something like medications. Like I remember when I had my children, I, they gave me Percocet and that made me very constipated. What do, you, what do you do about that? Do you take laxatives with that, like a Marilax, or how do you kind of balance that out? So right now in this era that we live in, a lot of people, there's medicines for everything. Yeah. So hypertension is very rampant in the United States. So most people are on some form of antihypertensive medication. A lot of medications that patients are on uh, unfortunately have unwanted side effects of constipation, whether it's uh, blood pressure lowering or allergy medication um, or even uh, people with maybe some anxiety or depression or pain issues, a lot of those medications are very uh, helpful for what they treat, but they do come with a price, which uh, may cause constipation. How about dehydration? Dehydration definitely can exacerbate or bring it on and make your constipation worse, but just drinking water alone isn't a very good uh, option to treat or combat constipation. Because if you drink a lot of water, it can actually go to your kidneys and you you, you urinate it out. Right. And therefore, sometimes it doesn't actually go to where you need it to go. So hydrating is important. Preventing dehydration is good. But hydration in a more 
continuous throughout the day is much more helpful than saying at five o'clock, oh shoot, I didn't drink anything at all, so I'm gonna chug down a liter of water, because then you'll just actually eliminate that through your urinary system, and it really won't even get to your uh, GI tract. I see, okay, so how about with fiber? People that take maybe fiber supplements or whatever drinks are out there, is it okay to take it daily? Is there such thing as too much fiber? Yeah, so fiber is very safe. Um, most of the fibers that we consume from diet may be uh, undigestible fibers, and the fiber supplements most people go and purchase over the counter, like psyllium husk um, type of fibers, they are uh, unabsorbable, non-digestible fibers, so they are very healthy. And as long as you are taking it with water, mm-hmm. um, it should not cause harm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, it's it, it's important to bring to light. Constipation is multifactorial. So just adding fiber alone may not be sufficient to help you in your uh, constipation. If your constipation has to do with motility issues, mm-hmm. then just adding fiber alone won't make anything move. Right. Okay. Okay. So what is the first thing to do if you get constipated? So if it's your first bout, then you want to, usually when patients see me, I draw on a, on a piece of paper, a, a stair, like steps, okay. and explain to them it's escalation of therapy. So mm-hmm. being conservative, I like to start with the smallest gun to get the job done. So usually the smallest step um, would be fiber, okay. diet-wise. They can add prune juice, prunes, bran, carrots, watermelon if it's in season, you know, any kind of fruits and vegetables that are high in water content and high fibers. That may alone help. A lot of people do uh, apples and grapefruit and navel oranges in the winter. And mm-hmm. in the summer, obviously, you have a lot more options. Yeah. You've got Bing cherries, you've got um, peaches, you've got anything that has the skin peel on it uh, is always helpful. Uh, you want to keep the fruits and veggies with the f- peel on will be very helpful. So that's my first step. Uh, if that alone isn't enough to quote unquote put the fire out, then we go up a step. So the next step would be um, you purchasing uh, insoluble fibers, whether that's mm-hmm. psyllium husk fibers. Uh, the biggest mistake I see in practice is that Patients come to me and say, I've tried that, it didn't work. Uh, a lot of times you want to just sit down and say, how much did you do mm-hmm. and how long did you try it? Mm-hmm. You have to understand fiber, especially the psyllium husk fibers, they're also a small gun. So it may be helpful in uh, low-level constipation. It may or may not be enough for you. So you have to adjust the dose. A lot of people are very timid and shy. They feel like it, it could do their body harm with mm-hmm. the fiber. But understand, you can do more harm by not Taking. treating the constipation. Uh, the complications of untreated or poorly managed constipation leads to diverticulosis or diverticular disease, which can lead to diverticulitis. You can have ischemic colitis. You can have perforation. There's quite a bit of damage that can be done with uh, untreated constipation. And so I, I, you know, you have to outweigh the risks and benefits. And sure. clearly the benefits of taking fiber supplement w- greatly outweigh the risks. So uh, if someone's constipated, all the time and they're always taking something like Miralax or something, is that okay? Because I mean, it sounds like fiber might be safer than Miralax. Right, so then that's my third step, it's a step up. If somebody said, hey, I've done the diet, I I, I do as much fiber as my 
uh, daily activity allows. And then I do the metamiso and I don't do the teaspoons. I'm doing the heaping tablespoons and mm. I do it every day and I do it more often than not. So, you know, in a, in a cover doesn't help. You actually have to take it. Yeah. So if they've done all, if they've done their due diligence and they still are unhappy or have not reached the results that they were looking for, then it's time to step up a, a another level. And yeah. the next level would be what you, uh, Miralax. Mm. Um, and that is very easily purchased over the counter. What's important to keep in mind is that it's not digestible uh, and it's not absorbable through any human intestinal wall. So whatever you take by mouth will come the, out the other <laughs> end. Yeah, yeah. So you don't have to worry about, oh, is it bad for my body? Can I do this long term? Will I get addicted? It is not a narcotic. You, you really won't get addicted to it because okay. you can't digest it. So your body won't get used to it either? No, no, because oh, okay. you can't digest it yeah. and, and it okay. actually comes out. Now, you might find some people say, well, it used to work like a charm, right. but now I have to take more or it right. doesn't work. So you do see that, but that's also because over time people age. And then as we mm -hmm. age, our metabolism slows down mm -hmm. and our, our motility slows down mm -hmm. and our muscles fall yeah. down. <laughs> so the amount that worked before or the firepower you needed to get the job done becomes uh needs to be increased when you have a bigger fire to deal with right right so uh people think oh i must be getting addicted i must be getting dependent i'm so worried that's not what it means it just means we're getting older right and right, so we just need a little bit more um firepower yeah so sure. that means you may have to increase the dose but that is not a worrisome sign at all very good to know so what is considered severe or chronic uh, uh, constipation and when to call a doctor? So severe has different meanings. Severe is if you're doubled over uh, and you can't even walk straight or you can't eat, mm -hmm. then obviously that's severe. So you can't really put a time uh, limit on that. And that would be acute severe uh, constipation. Okay. Chronic would be if you've had symptoms that repeatedly recur at least once a week for at least three months, or that would be uh, Deem, it would be classified as chronic. chronic. Okay. Um, so you said once a week for three months, if that's if it's happening least, once yeah, a week. For three if months. it's happening at least okay. once a week okay. and it keeps happening uh, at least once a week for at least three months, sure. then you already meet the definition of chronic. Okay. So if all fails, can constipation cause rectal bleeding? Definitely. Yes. Yeah, so okay. when the stool is actually pretty caustic. So I think every mother will remember when their kids were in diapers, mm -hmm. if for whatever reason you didn't catch it fast enough and they sat on their uh, stoiled diaper, their skin gets yeah, yeah. really broken down. So just you could imagine if you're holding the same stool in your rectum Inside for, you. for yeah. hours and days, then it can cause quite a bit of irritation and skin breakdown. Mm -hmm. So it can cause fissures, it can cause hemorrhoids, um, it can, you know, can cause a lot of rectal bleeding. So with rectal bleeding, how can someone know what is causing their rectal bleeding? We're just kind of taking a left turn. Like when to worry, because other causes can, just like you said, hemorrhoids, it could be ulcers, anal fissures. How do we know if it's yeah. the constipation? So it, it, it is pretty difficult because not all diseases have read the textbooks. So okay. they don't present in a classic fashion. Mm -hmm. But if we were to say they presented in classic fashions, the classic alarm symptoms would be things where you have a rectal bleeding, but it doesn't happen just once. It happens yeah. repeatedly because at the end of the day, organic diseases, they don't come and go. 
they come and stay and they just get bigger and bigger and bigger yeah. so uh, obviously there's some exceptions to the rule but if diseases were behaving classically out of a textbook then you should see persistence meaning you red rectal bleeding maybe just on the toilet paper then it's on the sides then it's on the bowl but it doesn't really take a holiday or vacation it doesn't really go away it just gets worse and worse that would be the worst alarming symptoms if you have an occasional rectal bleeding on a toilet paper once a month or once a year then that's less worrisome now that doesn't mean that all of those should be ignored obviously sure. um, in the medical field it's a little bit different in the judicial system they're all innocent till proven guilty but in the medical field we have to assume they're all guilty mm -hmm. until proven innocent and the reason why is even if it's one person out of a thousand it's not acceptable to lose that person sure. or miss that person. Sure. So any person that comes through the door, I have to think the worst thing. What could this be? It could be cancer. It could be proctitis. It could be ulcerative colitis. It right. could be all sorts of organic disorders. So I have to make sure that I have all of those pathologic sure. diseases up front in my mind to make sure and eliminate those one by one just so that we don't miss that one person. Because even if it's one in a thousand, that's not acceptable. Sure, and you're able to diagnose them to find out if it's constipation or something more serious by asking them about their like bathroom habits or how? For the most part, them? we can get a good ed clinical educated guess just by asking the questions. Okay. Um, but obviously the definitive fi finding would be doing a colonoscopy, colonoscopy or an examination of something that would give us a visualization to make sure that it's not cancer or a poly bleeding polyp or sure. uh, AVM. Um, and if we can get visual verification that it's just a fissure or a hemorrhoid mm -hmm. um, or an ulcer, it's, you know, th that yeah. would be uh, more evidence to prove uh, innocence. Innocence, <laughs> yes. Okay, and speaking of hemorrhoids, um, can we talk about what they are and what causes them? And I've heard that we all have hemorrhoids all the time. That's, is that true? Absolutely. So yes? we okay. all have veins in our rectum. Okay. All of us do. Uh, it's kind of like having pores on our skin. We okay. all have pores. Um, sometimes if the pore gets clogged and inflamed and irritated, it swells up and becomes a pimple. Mm -hmm. So uh, hemorrhoids, I explained to my patients, we all have veins in our rectum. It just when we're constipated or we're ill or for whatever reason, they get irritated, inflamed and engorged, mm -hmm. then they pop up like blueberries and that's what we call mm -hmm. symptomatic hemorrhoids. Okay. Um, but basically hemorrhoids are just um, engorged, inflamed veins. veins. Okay. That's exactly right. So, and there's internal and there's external? Mm -hmm. Internal and external. When we say internal, external, I'm trying to think of, so if, you, if you're talking about external, it is outside the anus, I'm That's, guessing? Yes. And do you treat them both the same then? No. So from no. Uh, being a GI, we do colonoscopy. So when mm. we go in from uh, to do an endoscopic evaluation, we can clearly see a dentate line. And that's where the internal mucosa ends mm -hmm. and the external skin begins. So anything above the dentite line or inside the dentite line is called internal hemorrhoids. Okay. And those are the ones that most patients have no idea that they have. They're like, listen, I know my body, I don't have hemorrhoids because it's not there. Yeah. Well, you can't feel internal hemorrhoids unless you stick your entire finger up there and kind of swish it around because they tend to, you can't, you can't see them, you can't feel them when you wipe. Yeah. And you 
don't generally feel them because the internal pain receptors are very different than your skin. So the external hemorrhoids are what most patients are very much aware of because they can feel it when they wipe. They bleed easily every time they wipe because they're irritating it. Mm -hmm. Um, And they tend to be much more painful. I see. Uh, So most external hemorrhoids are uh, not... Uh, unknown to the patient, right. but internal hemorrhoids could be completely unknown to the patient. So with internal hemorrhoids, how, how do you diagnose that? Is there there's then a testing that you'd have to do in the doctor's office? That's right. So there's an anoscope you can do in the doctor's office without mm-hmm. any anesthesia. Um, but from a GI standpoint, we generally diagnose that when we do our colonoscopies or okay. sigmoidoscopies. Okay. Now, is there any way to treat hemorrhoids at home? So number one would be prevention. Prevention. Yeah. Okay. So kind of like back Stick to my fiber. <laughs> back to my analogy of you know acne. You know, yeah. don't t- put your hand dirty hands all over your face. You know, make sure you wash. And so as far back to the col- uh, hemorrhoids, you you want to avoid being constipated. You want to mm. avoid prolonged sitting. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You want to prolong. You, you want to avoid uh, poor perfusion. So you want to exercise. You want to weight loss if you're overweight, try not to sit for eight, 10 hours a day, mm-hmm. uh, and try to avoid constipation by adding fiber and uh, improving your defecation. Okay, so how do I go and have my bowel movement if I have hemorrhoids and it hurts? <laughs> that's, that's true, so that's why the prevention <laughs> is key. Prevention's key. Um, yeah. But uh, once you have the hemorrhoids, you wanna make sure you need to recognize whether you realize it or not, you do suffer from constipation because you wouldn't have had the hemorrhoids right, in the right first there, place. Yeah. So you wanna add the fiber, add Miralax if you need to. You wanna soften your stools. And the last thing you, you, or the most important thing is you can't push, so you can't try that hard. So mm-hmm. I always tell my patients, when you sit and you try to have a bowel movement, it doesn't happen in the first five to seven minutes, you have to abort. Get Get, yeah, you have to abort. Get up, get up walk yeah. around, drink a warm cup of coffee, you know, try again. But just sitting there longer just to get the job done actually causes more damage because you're pushing, you're going to pop another hemorrhoid, or you're going to cause a rectal prolapse. So you, you don't want to over um, push. Over push. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's good that you said that because sometimes when my kids are like, my stomach hurts and they're sitting on the toilet and they can't push for any reason, they're sitting there trying to push. I get worried that they could end up with a hemorrhoid or something like or that. Or fissure, they can actually up. tear. Let's yeah. talk about that. Um, yeah. Anal fissures, is, how is that different than hemorrhoids? And how do I know what it is? So the hemorrhoids are all vascular related, so they're okay. veins. Fissures, I always tell patients, you know, you have two sets of lips. You got one set here, one set on the other end. Mm-hmm. And just like lips, they get chapped, they get dried. So certain time of the year where it's really um, cold and everybody has the heat on and everyone's taking hot showers, um, they tend to dry out more. So, and then depending on how uh, your daily hygiene habits, some people over aggressively wipe because they want to be extra clean. And that just really just robs all your natural oils and it really dries your skin out. So then you're more prone to having fissures. Fissures are like having paper cuts in your lips. They're extremely painful. Uh, They're never unknown to the patient. They'll be the first to tell you. They'll generally describe when they have a bowel movement, they feel like they're pooping uh, glass. Uh, it, it's pa- just like paper cuts. They're very small, but they're mighty. They, they hurt. Small, <laughs> mighty. So, so when you wipe, wipe gently. You gotta wipe gently. Okay. And you know the French 
do it well. They have the boudets. They're very natural. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, yes. you know, if you are one of those that are over wipers, you're really better off after a defecation. You just hop in the shower and just rinse things off okay. because you're not over aggressively wiping with a paper product. The other thing is the hygiene products, you want to make sure they're not scented or colored the because chemicals. anything that smells nice has perfume. Anything that has perfume is alcohol-based, mm. which will dry you out even more. Wow. Okay, so what else, is there anything else that can cause anal fissures? You know, mo majority of fissures are due to mechanical traumas, like they're wiping too hard oh, or they're okay. nail dug in or, you know, they they were so constipated, they were trying to pass a large heart stool and it ripped. Sure. Uh, but there are uh, organic diseases that cause fissures. As the first one that comes to mind would be uh, autoimmune disorders like inflammatory bowel disease, mm. specifically called Crohn's disease. Yes. Now that really has nothing to do with anything that I just said. Yeah. It has to do with your <laughs> immune system attacking your mucosal lining and your mucosal breaks down and you get uh, fissures from that standpoint. And so. that's not because they're overly wiping in any way. That's an organic disorder that really does need to be identified and that can be treated. Okay, so, so um, healing from I feel like I've been saying it wrong. Is it fissures? Mm -hmm. Fissures. fissures. Yeah. Um, so to heal from them, is that just kind of like uh, hemorrhoids? Just leave them alone, clean them, and just leave them alone? So fissures, you kind of have to figure out how you got them. If it's because you are over wiper because you have a little bit of OCD, mm -hmm. then it's just more of a behavioral issue. Mm -hmm. If it's because you just need to put a little bit of Vaseline or lube, you know, that's the way to go. If it's because you're passing large stools, then you want to treat that by adding prunes or Metamucil or Miralax. If it's, if you're getting the fissures from Crohn's disease, then the modality would be treat the Crohn's, which is an immune modulating agent. So yeah. once you get the Crohn's in remission, those fissures will heal and go away. Great. Well, is there um, anything else that we have not talked about that you would like to talk about when it comes to constipation or hemorrhoids or what to tell people that are watching or listening and how to you know prevent it from happening? So um, constipation is very rampant. It happens to just about all of us. Yeah. It's not if, it's just a matter of when. And it happens earlier depending on your genetics and your bo uh, body habitus and your lifestyle. Uh, but eventually it gets to most of us. So you want to uh, promote motility or mo mobility. You want to get up and move, exercise whenever you can, eat fibrous foods. Um, know that it's going to happen. So all the hardest people to treat are the ones in denial. Yeah, you know, so. they've been in the ER with diverticulitis and they had colonoscopies that show diverticulosis and they have hemorrhoids, but they feel that they're not constipated yeah. or they don't get that signal. So they're completely oblivious to the fact that they're constipated. So it just happens. So Proactive prevention is the biggest thing that uh, you could do for yourself. But if it does come on, try to recognize that and then treat that right away with all the things that we talked about. With okay, Dr. Lee, before I let you go, um, what is diverticulitis? Because um, I know you've mentioned it a few times sure. and it could happen from constipation. So I kind of want to talk about what that is first. Sure. So your colon, I try to explain to my patients, your colon is like a highway. If you think of your colon as a highway, mm -hmm. Um, diverticulosis with an O is the potholes that you get from wear and tear. Okay. So if your GI doctor after colonoscopy or your primary doctor after getting a CT says you have diverticulosis, that means you have chronic constipation, whether you knew it or not. Mm -hmm. So again, if I took your colon out, put it on a table and fillet it open and say, hey, this is a highway, diverticulosis with an O would be the potholes. Diverticulitis with an I 
One letter change yeah. makes a whole of a lot of difference. So diverticulitis with an I means that pothole or that pouching got impacted with stool and now it's infected and it's trying to burst. So wow. two different things. So diverticulosis with an O means you've got potholes in your colon. Okay. Diverticulitis with an I means that pothole is in trouble. It's either infected, filled with pus, and it there's a concern that it might rupture or perforate. And so usually diverticulitis, it's majority of it is diagnosed in the emergency room mm. because they present with severe abdominal pain, maybe nausea, maybe vomiting, fevers, pain like you've never experienced before. So most in the patients- abdominal area? Yes, that's yes. Where it's, okay. And most patients intuitively will end up in the ER saying, hey, something's not right. Um, and they'll generally diagnose that through a CAT scan. Okay, so that's a CAT scan. It's not like a colonoscopy that you would need to get for Right, so diverticulitis is actually a contraindication to do a colonoscopy because oh. you don't want to instrument that person and blow it up with air because okay. you're already at risk for perforation. Um, and also there's a risk of infection because it's filled with pus. So if you suspect diverticulitis, the uh, diagnostic test of choice would be a diver uh, with a CT scan and not, mm. not to be instrumented. Sure, sure. So if you are thinking that you may have diverticulitis mm -hmm. or osis <laughs> um, it's basically stomach pain nausea is it kind of like the same symptoms for both or is there different there's different um, stool formation yes yeah, so a lot of diverticulosis are on are what we call not symptomatic they may not even be aware of it it's just having the potholes it's only when it gets infected generally that goes without being noticed they they will know sharp severe abdominal pain like they've never had mm. patients are very much aware that something is seriously wrong yeah. and they just know to go to the er and okay. to get a cat scan so can it happen from anything else besides constipation or is that the only thing that can cause it yeah, you can't get diverticulitis without diverticulosis Losis. first. Okay, right. You generally can't less. get diverticulosis without mm -hmm. the constipation. Oh, okay. And what is the treatment for those two? <laughs> so the treatment for diverticulitis, uh -huh. if it's severe, they will hospitalize you to make sure you don't perforate and you get IV antibiotics. If it's okay. mild or moderate, right. it can be treated with just oral antibiotics and they get sent home and if it's really mild you can actually get by without any antibiotics and they just give you uh, something to clean out your colon to treat your constipation mm -hmm. like go lightly or a laxative now i've heard someone that mentioned they had diverticulitis mm -hmm. and they had mucus in the stool is that a symptom so mucus gets a little bit of a bad rap. So what happens is your colon mucosa is the inner lining skin and we all produce mucus. Um, some people genetically produce more mucus than others, but mucus in itself is not pathologic. Okay. Pus is very uh, pathologic, right. but mucus is actually your body's way of trying to protect itself. So if you have a piece of stool that's stuck mm -hmm. on a wall and it's having a hard time um, getting off, your mucosa produces uh, mucus, mm -hmm. makes it slimy it and, and slippery, okay. then it falls off and it goes. So yeah. actually mucus is your friend. Okay. You want it to be there because it's trying to help you. Otherwise people would be having, you know, really hard stools exactly right and you you could you may not have to be blocked but part yeah. of the stool is stuck on a wall and it can cause quite a bit of irritation and skin breakdown if that didn't happen but because we have 
pores yeah. in, in our mucosa, it can produce mucus just like anywhere else, like in our nose or back of the throat. And that mucus actually can be helpful. So if pus is out with the stool, does it, doesn't it kind of look the same as mucus? I mean, I'm just, that's kind of what I'm imagining, or is it a yeah. different color, or what, it does look the same? It, it can look pretty similar. Right, um, right, so okay. that's what makes it a little bit trickier. Right. But you, the clinical setting will be very different. So okay. generally mucus, you'll have constipation symptoms, mm -hmm. but pus, you're pretty sick. You're gonna have fevers, I you see. have a white count, um, you're just not gonna be feeling well. Okay. Uh, and I don't mean, mildly it'll be pretty drastic oh, okay yeah. okay all right well thanks for stretching that question for me a little of bit course. i just want to get into that of before course. we go and thank you so much yeah for that's your time a very today. common question but you know between the diverticulitis and diverticulosis sure, sure. everybody gets that um a little confused, confused yeah, but yeah. they're uh, pretty distinctly different yeah thank yeah. you so much of for course. your time it's today my pleasure. It's, been, it's been a pleasure thank you and for more information on cleveland clinic digestive disease and surgery institute visit clevelandclinic.org slash digestive and to schedule an appointment with a Cleveland Clinic digestive specialist, please call 216-444-7000. And thanks again for listening to us today. If, to listen to more of our podcast specials with our Cleveland Clinic experts, please make sure you go to clevelandclinic.org slash HE podcast, or you can subscribe on iTunes. And for more health tips and information, make sure you're following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at Cleveland Clinic, just one word. Thank you. We'll see you again next time. This concludes this Cleveland Clinic Health Essentials podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.